Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The New Testament church here at Thessaloniki is a model church. The Apostle Paul teaches them. He goes there. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit already having done the work to prepare the hearts of the people. The call of God comes through the apostle. People are drawn to Christ miraculously, powerfully by the Holy Spirit. They become disciples of Christ as we make our way through both letters to the Thessalonians we will see that Paul reveals that they were disciples, learners of Christ. They eagerly received what Paul was teaching. While this was happening to them, they became workers for Christ. And this is the natural process of the work of the church. So the power of the Lord comes into their lives and part of the call that the Lord extends to them in bringing them to God in Christ is to implant within them spiritual gifts, not the least of which is the yearning and the ability to share the gospel of Christ with others. And as we saw last time, because of that, there was tremendous success, if you want to call it that, throughout the entire region as the faith of the Thessalonians worked itself out through them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul says to the Thessalonians continues here in chapter 2. And our thoughts here in this chapter are about with regard to the Christian and his service to Christ would be responsibility and reward. In what ways are we responsible as believers in Christ, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives them three areas of responsibility. The first one that he reveals here is our responsibility as stewards. Let's look at this. Beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our entrance to you was not in vain. Well, of course not. Remember the dream, the vision that Paul had which caused him in the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit to change directions. Not to go to Asia, but instead to go toward Macedonia. The man from Macedonia appeared to him in his vision. Come over and help us. Well, this is part of that. 
someone is led, unctioned, empowered by the Holy Spirit to come and bring the gospel to where you are, into your life. The work of God then goes and the sower of the seed is sowing the seed. And we are to sow the seed plentifully everywhere and some of it will take root. Some of it will find the good soil. This is the way it works. We just keep preaching it and we keep teaching it and we keep telling others of the saving power of Christ. And along the way, some are saved. The power of the Holy Spirit that draws them to Christ empowers them to work for Christ. This is just part of the salvation call according to Ephesians. So we're saved to good works and God works these things and probably it just becomes part of who we are and we maybe not, don't even realize that this is the manifestation of the gift of God in our lives but the whole thing is the work of Christ in us and through us and so naturally having been regenerated, having been born again, people will see a difference. There has to be a difference. We make a difference because we're not the same as we were. And then other people are affected and this keeps on and on because someone was led by God to enter into our lives, to make an entrance into where we were. And when we pray and we get the direction of God in these things, and we always know what that direction is, if we stay on our knees and on our faces before God and get into the Word of God, God will reveal to us, and God revealing that to us will have already done the work. We just have to go and teach and preach the Word. God takes care of it all. That's the way it was with Paul. He sent that vision to Paul. And God already had prepared a wonderful group of people in Thessaloniki. And so it wasn't in vain. It's not an empty thing. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, there's another proof that what you're doing in the world is of the Lord. Because the world hates it. The world will come again. You keep quiet and you don't. You don't stand on the promises and you don't faithfully deliver the word and teach the word, all of it, not just some of it, all of it, being instant in season and out of season and not holding anything back in the word of God to, to accurately divide the word of truth, all of it, not holding anything back. You do that. The world is going to be offended. And therefore, somewhere there will be suffering and mistreatment, as it happened to Paul and his party in Philippi. Remember Philip? Man, they were thrown in jail, Philippian jailer. They they were they were terribly mistreated and the chains were miraculously dropped off, but 
Paul said to the jailer, don't kill yourself. He's going to kill himself because he was going to have to suffer all of their, all of, all of, all of their penalties himself. And he thought it would just be better to fall on his sword. But Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're still here, man. And his response to Paul and Silas was this. What must I do to be saved? Wow. Mistreated in Philippi, but a great work of God occurred in Philippi. Yet even so, we had the boldness in our God. The boldness is in God. It, it's all from him. He, 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 he equips us and sends us and prepares the place. And it's all of God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such struggle. Disappointment, discouragement, these things come. But if God is in it, you overcome it by the power of God. This was the great work that God had called Paul to do. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. So the struggle didn't matter. What mattered was that Paul discharged his responsibility before God Almighty, which was namely to speak to everyone the gospel of God as God sent him into those places, even amid such struggles. So it wasn't in vain. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. We don't trick people. I, sometimes we feel compelled. We have to trick people. We have to pay them to come to Christ. I remember church once when I was a very young preacher. And they were having a big meeting. And the pastor was on television inviting everybody. And he said, we want you to know there's, there's gonna, they're going to be they're going to be prizes. He did. Oh, no, he did. And he said, under certain seats, we have placed $20 bills. You might get the lucky seat. If you'll come to our great meeting. Listen, you can deceive and trick people all day long. It's easy to do. You can preach error. You can make promises that aren't in the Bible. You can tell them something that they want to hear that isn't in the Bible. And you can be, you can be flawed and impure in your message. In the case of charlatans, and especially in Paul's day, they, they expected a lot of money to come in and deliver this message. Paul didn't do that. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now that's where we get the thought of being a steward of the gospel. The word, the word up here in the Greek text, pistuthene, is, is that side of it. That's the verb action. Okonomos is what you are. When you do the, when you perform the verb, you're a steward. You're a steward of what, 
of, with that with, of that with which you've been entrusted. In this case, Paul sees himself as an approved steward, approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. The church in Christ is in possession of a sacred trust. You remember when we were in the Gospel of John, the Lord said to his disciples, if you forgive their sins, they're forgiven, but if you don't, they're not. And we went into the explanation of how forgiveness of sin is the bottom line, and we come with the Gospel message of Christ, and in, at that point in the Gospel of John, only 11 were approved to do that. The 11 who were left, Judas was gone already. And they were the ones approved in what Christ is saying, like what Paul is following up on here. Only those who are approved by God possess the sacred trust of the gospel. A steward acts in behalf of his master who owns everything. A steward doesn't own a thing. The master owns it and the steward acts in behalf of the master. Well, here, the Apostle Paul says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. A sacred trust. So we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. You know they're not going to try to please men because they would have changed their tune after they had been mistreated so many times. But they keep preaching the same gospel because this is the sacred trust. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other savior. All men are sinners. We're all short of the glory of God. Only the grace of God can save us. And people will not know unless a messenger comes who is approved by God, a steward of the gospel, unless that person comes and releases the power of the gospel of Christ in preaching it and teaching it, and then the Holy Spirit takes over. If, if, if those people don't do it, it's not going to be done. That's what Christ is saying to the 11 back in the gospel of John. So we have this sacred trust. People need forgiveness. God has prepared them so that all we have to do is go and preach the message and God does the rest. Paul knew that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a man pleaser. Because I would, we have to present to the world the Ten Commandments which crush us. Somewhere in our lives before we come to Christ we put other things before God. We take the name of the Lord in vain, that happens all the time today. Just God this and Jesus that. Taking it in vain, profaning the holy day of God, bearing false witness. I, the, my, my, my great confession of sin is that I'm too quick to forward a message on Facebook. I don't know if it's true or not. Bearing false witness, I'm gonna have to slap myself. That's not right. Did you ever have a bad thought about your parents? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wish I was dead. I'd show them. <laughs> Who's that going to show anything to? Well, sure. See, when I said that, I, I start thinking of times that I shouldn't think of. We dishonor our parents many times in our lives. That's enough. Did you ever want something that belonged to somebody else? You've coveted, you've, man, you're, we're all guilty. We all stand guilty before God and we're worthy of death. The fire. The only thing that can save us from our sins is the blood of Christ. The atonement of Christ. The righteousness of Christ, which the Father imputes upon us. He, he covers us with the righteousness of Christ when we are in Christ. So when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see my unrighteousness. There's too much there. But the righteousness of Christ covers me. This is what I need. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I'm guilty. I'll always and forever be guilty unless I'm pardoned. And declared to be not guilty because someone who didn't owe the account paid the account for me. Namely, Jesus on the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, we understand the importance of being forgiven. We understand the burden and encumbrance of sin. We understand the freedom that is in Christ when by faith we come to Christ as God in His grace graciously calls us to Himself. We understand that. And the church is the steward of this wonderful message. People may not understand the great deep theological persuasions and doctrines of Scripture. But there's one thing that they must understand if they're to be saved. That we are sinners and can only be saved by grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to have eternal life. We are hell bound without our Savior. So this is the gospel we're entrusted with the gospel. Paul says, we came and we didn't please men. It doesn't please men to tell them that they're horrible. To just stand in the faces of people and say, you are a nasty, despicable person. You are at enmity with God and God is an enemy of yours. And you're headed for a dark, cold grave that will open up for you the flames of hell and you'll be cast into the lake of fire and that's God's garbage dump. You're a piece of trash. Unless God redeems you in Jesus Christ and then you're a child of God. People don't want to hear how bad they are. They're, they're, none of us do good. No, not one. If there's anything that flows through our lives as believers that the world may think is a good thing, it is not what we're doing, it's what Christ is doing through us. There's nothing that we do. 
This is why when the crowns are given at last, we are compelled to cast them back. It, it wasn't us. It was Christ in us. So, people, men, you're not going to please people by starting out telling them how sorry they are. You nasty thing. You ain't worth nothing. The only thing you're worth is to be cast in the lake of fire unless and until you believe the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Now, that's not a man pleaser. But that's the gospel. Now you see, they were, Paul and his party suffer at the hand, especially at the hands of the Jews because this is exactly opposite of Judaism. Judaism tells you that you have to obey the law and that you're good and the more that you obey it, the better you are and who knows, you might be invited to be a Pharisee someday if you get to be so good and so great. That's not the gospel of Christ. Of course not. We are not good. Only the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ that's the only righteousness, the only goodness that we can, that we can uh, fall upon, that we can claim. So, we speak the gospel with which we've been entrusted, not as to please men, but to please God who examines our hearts. He knows that we are here purely for the sake of Christ. And under his call and by the direction of the Holy Spirit. For we never came with a flattering word, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We didn't have a plan to come in here and to enrich ourselves or to make ourselves look good. God is witness. Nor did we come seeking glory from men either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. Paul says, we could have drawn upon your responsibility to take care of us. To take care of us financially and other ways. Paul says, we didn't do that. You, Paul will say, and already said it and We'll say it more. They worked. Paul and his traveling party worked themselves. They each had a trade. Paul was a tent maker. He could, now this was, you know, they had a, what, a seacoast. They, he, a tent maker could repair sails on boat. I mean, he stayed busy. He carried with him his tools wherever he went. And if he had to buy material in a, in a large local marketplace, he could buy material. Paul worked for himself. Probably made more money <laughs> making sales because the Thessalonians weren't rich people, these believers. Paul says, we didn't, we didn't come. We could have been a burden, but we didn't come. We were never a burden. We we're entrusted with this gospel. We didn't come with a pretext for greed. 
And we didn't come to seek glory from men. We came compelled by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, we have a responsibility as a mother. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I have never nursed a child in my life. Now, some, in some strange way, it seems popular these days for a man to claim that he can become pregnant and all that kind of stuff. Not me. But I'll tell you what, I have lovingly observed it in the life of our family. A mother takes from her own life and succors her child. And the child gets stronger. He gets loud. And it's the child strengthens. It gets strengthened. It develops. It matures. This is not an easy and slow process. This goes on for a while. Christians who are born again are born as babes in Christ. And they have to accept the position of being a little baby and grow through childhood and mature in the faith as they go. May I say, the maturing process never stops. You're always being strengthened in the Word of God. Always something new. Always something greater and better as we grow in the Lord. A mother... A mother doesn't want to give this responsibility. This mother wants to do it herself. As mothers are created, have been thus created by God to have this bond that only a nursing mother can have with her children. In this way, having fond affection for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become beloved to us. I'm not going to take a survey. I'm just going to stab at it out of personal experience in our family but I have this sneaky feeling that nursing mothers love it to impart from herself the flow of strength investing herself into the life of this growing child you know that thing that <laughs> that process stops a screaming baby just shuts up thank God for it <laughs> can you shut this kid up <laughs> hey darling can you shut this kid up 
The child loves it, the mother loves it, and it's a fond affection. This is what Paul says about the church when we are working for Christ. We are stewards of the gospel. People come and they're babes in Christ and we invest ourselves in the lives of these young believers just like a mother does into her baby's life. This is what we do. Pleased to impart to you not only the gospel but our own lives. Because you'd become beloved to later on in the study of Thessalonians. You will see how Paul talks to them how how they had eagerly learned so much and he taught them all these, these wonderful doctrines of the New Testament. And then we're going to find that he gives them addendum to that in the doctrine of the second coming and the doctrine of those who have died in Christ. What about them? We'll see that this is Paul investing his life in the development of young believers Not only preaching the gospel of Christ, that they might come to Christ, that they might be born again, but nurture them in the faith so that they can stand in the middle of an evil world that tries to distort everything and twist the gospel. Give them solid Bible doctrine so they can stand in this world unafraid and unashamed. This is what Paul did. This is what he says. We invest as a nursing mother into your lives. Third responsibility that we have as a church is a responsibility like that of a father. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our hardship. What does a, what does a godly father do for his household? He works. He works hard. He invests his life in a special way that he might provide for the needs of his family. Our labor and our hardship working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. We don't want to send our little kids out like little slaves to do work so that they can come and And support us when we as their fathers should be supportive of them and working hard day and night doing whatever has to be done (coughs) to proclaim the gospel of God. We're not a burden to any of you. You are witnesses and so is God of how devoutly and righteously and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. We were not charlatans. We were not burdens to you. We invested through work and hardship, night and day, doing whatever we had to do to provide for the church. What is the great provision of the church? Well, in the greater context of what we're studying, the the preaching and the teaching and the feeding to the disciples of the Word of God. You move, someday, you move from milk to baby food and from baby food to hamburgers or whatever Paul would say in another place he would say we we didn't come with you to feed you meat we came with milk and then the meat comes later this is the work 
It is a glorious and wonderful work to see Christians grow and mature and learn more about Christ and become stronger in the relationship that exists between believer and his God. What a, what a, what a wonderful labor that is. Like a father who teaches his children how to be responsible, how to be disciplined in this life. I saw a movie once where a, a guy took his little 10-year-old boy out deer hunting and killed a deer. Boy, he let his boy shoot it. Took his boy up to it. And he said, now we got to blood you. So he took the blood of the deer and kind of smeared it on his foot. Well, we're not going to do that to y'all. <laughs> that was supposed to be a great lesson to this kid. But there are things that are powerful and impacting in life. Always there is a lesson. Every day in the life of a child, there is a lesson waiting to be learned. If we would but take the time to teach that child the lesson, something he or she has just experienced, a question about something, there's always a lesson. And there are always scriptures upon which we can draw. And so this is the work they did. They did it devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly in their behavior toward the believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and bearing witness to each one of you as a father would his own children. Okay, to exhort, to encourage, to encourage us to build up, build the child up. To encourage, to exhort, teach. Take the moment in time to strengthen the child's life in the moment where he stands or he, she stands and then bear witness as a father would his own children. Paul says, this is what we did for you. Surrounded by paganism in the midst of the Roman Empire, all of which fits into Old Testament teachings and warnings and um, I don't know, the, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's the statue, the image. There's so many things that could be taught to the Thessalonians and they, they would absorb it into their lives and they would understand why things are the way they are and how in the power of Christ they can stand differently in the age of horrible unbelief. Well, this is what he did as a father. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Twofold reward. First of all, the reward comes into our lives as Christians when we see that the word has performed its work. 
Look at this. And for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. The word of God at work. We just need to teach it and to preach it. The word works. The word, writer to the Hebrews, the word is a living thing. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides bone from marrow. It divides spirit from soul. It, it, it does things that nothing else can do. The power of the word of God. How powerful was that word when they came into a place filled with pagans and unbelievers, Gentiles who didn't know anything about a, a Hebrew God. And they preached the gospel of Christ. And the spirit of Christ arrested them and brought them, drew them into Christ. And they became a church and they continued to soak up the teaching of the Apostle Paul, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the New Testament, specifically as we will see developed in the letter, the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, the wonderful things that are true, that are only found in the teaching of the New Testament and only become meaningful when God approved stewards of the word unleash the word wherever we are. And this is a responsibility for all of us. So then, to be rewarded in seeing how the Word is at work. What a, what a, what a joy to preach and teach the Bible and see people strengthened in it and stand on it and watch the word of God at work in believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also suffered the same things at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. To be put to the test, that's part of Christianity. To be tested in this world. God puts us in a workplace even today and we are, we are surrounded by neo-pagans and they try to draw us into their trap and we stand firm and true on the word of God and we'll suffer for it. The test of who we are in Christ who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets drove us out, do not please God and are hostile to all men hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. The abiding wrath of God. Wrath. Orge. Thumos is a word that speaks of hot, sudden anger. Slap my wife and see how, let me show you the def definition of thumos. A sudden hot anger 
that will manifest in itself in an ugly fashion. But then there's this other thing, orge, which is the abiding wrath. Here's the abiding wrath. My wife wears a t-shirt that says, if you hit me, my husband will be all over you. Now that's my abiding wrath. And people will know it. The abiding wrath of God is always there. If it happens suddenly and without warning, that's thuma, but orge, that's, an, that's another, that's, that's the abiding wrath of God. If you breach this, there are consequences for you. And they're not pleasant. The wrath of God is not a pleasant thing. So, wrath has come upon them to the utmost. The other reward mentioned here is the witness who sees the fruit of his labor and it brings him joy, joy that he can proclaim. But we brothers have been taken away from you for a short while in the face, in face but not in heart. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Is it not even you before our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. The next reward that he mentions here, the last one in this chapter, to stand in rapture and resurrection with all of the redeemed and in the case of Paul, see the masses of Thessalonians and Macedonians and Achaians who'd come to Christ because even through suffering, Paul made his visit to Thessaloniki and preached and proclaimed the word. How much greater is the joy and the praise to God to see that he used you for his glory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. And the Bible says that if you will admit that you're a sinner, if you will believe in Jesus and call upon him to save you, God will save you. In just a moment, we'll pray our prayer of benediction. And as you leave this room, you will note that right across the hall as you leave are deacons and their wives standing in the doorway ready to talk to you about salvation. Perhaps for you today, you're already a Christian. It would be church membership to come and be a part of Shiloh. They stand ready and prepared to talk to you about that. Let's stand together prayerfully. We'll be dismissed in prayer.